Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and pop culture collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zandbergen. Welcome to our show of dream chasers and wealth makers. We are thrilled to be back in the studio today with a new episode of the Zanbergen Report. I'm proud to bring in the movers, shakers, and difference makers who are passionate about sharing what they have learned and what you need to know today. And I'm happy to be in studio today with Dean Gray, the co-founder and proprietor of Riverain Winery. There we go. All right. Dean, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Thanks yeah. for inviting me. Oh, of course. Of course. And it was fun kind of just catching up um, for the audience. We, uh, Dean and I met um, almost exactly a year because the event is coming up. Right. Uh, at the Napa and Newport Cure de Chain event. Um, he was one of the lovely sponsors with his amazing wine. So um, we're going to talk a little bit more about his wine and kind of his journey on how, how a business guy gets to uh, start a winery. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, so, I, I always say it's kind of like the horse racing business. If you want to make a million dollars in making wine, you start with two start million. start with two? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Old, old analogy, but it works yeah. really well in this in this case. Or maybe that's part of your whole retirement plan. Yeah, we were exactly. Talking about yes. <laughs> Reduction of wealth. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, great starting point. Uh, you are um, near or just past retirement. You start a winery. So what did you do before and what led you to the wine business? Um, yeah, that's uh, it, it was a journey. Uh, never never a plan. Uh, <laughs> did a lot of business plans in my life, but never intended to be in the wine business. But uh, through graduating uh, Cal State, uh, Cal State graduate uh, from Northridge and ended up working in consumer products for Procter & Gamble out of college. So that launched me into what turned out to be a, a successful 35-year career in consumer products. Yeah. So Nothing sexy. I always say selling toilet paper and spaghetti sauce and peanut butter <laughs> yeah. and the things that people need every day. Yeah. And you forget how many ways there are to make a living. But that launch into consumer products actually ended up uh, helping me uh, launch a uh, second part of my career with Advantage Sales and Marketing, which is an Irvine-based company. And we're basically a food broker that okay. uh, represents Fortune 500 food companies and took that company from about a, a 30 to $40 million Southern California food broker to a $4 billion company nationally. Wow. So wow. that's where I spent my last uh, 20 years of my career. I always say living yeah. on United Airlines. I usually had, <laughs> um, unfortunately, I think I had more flight miles than most full-time flight attendants. And then on top of that, you had the day job of actually doing your job yeah. uh, when you weren't wow. on the airplane. But that uh, that was really what yeah. I retired from. Uh, about four years ago, I just turned sixty this year. Just had the big one about uh, okay, okay. Uh, thirty days ago. Yeah. So I'm trying to put that behind me and and still feel young and and look young. But uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, uh, you know, I guess probably a, your follow up question I should let you ask it. But yeah, uh, how why? How would you get into wine? Right. Exactly right. Uh, selling toilet paper and spaghetti sauce, and then next yeah. thing you know, you're in the <laughs> wine business. But um, my wife at the time and I, this goes back about uh, 13 years ago, she's one of our business partners, Lori. We bought a second home, fortunate enough to buy a little uh, second home, and we bought it in Napa. Just always had a love for Napa, had a love for wine, didn't really know wine well, just knew we liked to go to Napa with a lot of friends, as many of okay. your listeners do. Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing turned into another after years of going up there, maybe two, three times a year on couples weekends or 
I did a lot of entertaining as well in the corporate world and, and took people to Napa. Just kind of fell in love with the area, not so much the concept of winemaking. So yeah. we bought this second home in, in Rutherford, right by Rutherford Grill Restaurant. Many people know it well, a Hillstone mm-hmm. Group restaurant. And um, it was about two years into that journey that one of my dear friends, who's now a business partner in Riverine, uh, Steve Nordoff, uh, he's a huge wine guy. Um, probably should have been a master psalm instead of an attorney, although he's great at both. Uh, he would always come to Napa with us. He was single, and we would drag him along. Um, Lori even said to me a couple times, can we ever go to Napa without Steve? He's always like in our suitcase, but he loved Napa that much. And through Steve and his connections and his love of wine, we got to know a lot of people in the industry up there. And yeah. one thing led to another. One of the gentlemen that uh, we got to know really well was one of Steve's dear friends, a guy named Thomas Rivers Brown, who, if you're in the wine business, that's uh, Thomas is at the top of the game in yeah. terms of winemaking. Yeah. And uh, so that that's the introduction, and that's uh, what kind of was the, the soft sell into getting into a wine project. Well, meeting a top winemaker and starting a winery are still two different things. So. That, that's correct. <laughs> and I will tell you, I even after two years of homeownership, we were out to dinner at one of my favorite restaurants in Napa named Press uh, Press Restaurant in St. Helena. It was a big steakhouse at the time, and now they're morphing into um, trying to get Michelin stars and really take it to a, a cutting-edge culinary experience. But we're at dinner one night at Press Restaurant with Thomas Brown, and um, I we had all had copious amounts of red wine, which is kind of what you do when you're in Napa at a, at a big steakhouse. And somewhere about three quarters of the way through dinner, my buddy Steve Nordoff uh, turned to myself and said, hey, you know, we've got Thomas here. We should do a little wine project. And uh, I said, yeah, that, that's a horrible idea, Steve. <laughs> and Thomas started laughing. And he goes, why is it a bad idea? I said, I'm like, I think, two to four years away from retirement. And the last thing I need to do is dump tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars into a wine project. I said, I don't know about you, but I'm not made of money. And this does not sound like part of my retirement plan. At which point, (laughs) Thomas, Thomas chimed in and said, you know, hey, I love you guys. Steve, you've been a friend for a long time. Dean, you're, I'm getting to know you and I really enjoy being with you. And I'm looking to expand some of my projects. At the time, he only did eight projects. Today, he probably does about uh, 30 projects, um, small size like ours. And he said, I'd love to make your wine. And my analogy to people that don't know who Thomas Brown is, that's kind of like sitting at dinner with the CEO of Ferrari. And you said, you know, I kind of want to make a car. And the CEO says, I'll make your car for you. So (laughs) when Thomas Brown says, I'd like to do a a wine project with you, you kind of think twice. And I I still said, even at the end of the evening, I said, it's a bad idea. The answer is no, I don't want to do this. And I've since learned that I I think I was being set up. They've never come clean to tell me I absolutely was set up. I'm smart enough to know I think I was. Because Thomas at the end of dinner said, hey, look, there's a really beautiful vineyard source coming available. And I've got the rights to the lease on the property and if you're even considering this at all, we should go walk the vineyard and just take a look at it and talk a little bit more about this when we haven't had 74 glasses of red wine each. So um, I agreed to do that as we climbed into an Uber. And um, Thomas said, OK, we'll meet you there at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. So that's why I feel like I was set up. set up. Yeah, because this was not like, <laughs> yeah. oh, we'll call you in a month. And yeah. so long story short, um, the next morning at 10 a.m., we walked this beautiful vineyard called Tench Vineyard in Oakville right next to Screaming Eagle. Okay, um, okay. The vineyards literally touch Screaming Eagle. I'm like, well, I know what Screaming Eagle is. That's <laughs> 2000 bucks a bottle. How yeah. much is this going to be? And uh, 
So we, we set, set our sights on uh, about a three-acre parcel, and Thomas has uh, controlled the farming. Our first vintage was 2011. We were pretty much exclusively cab and jumped into a little Syrah, which is a, a wine lover's wine. We don't make Syrah anymore because I'm in charge of selling, and Syrah is a tough sell. Mm-hmm. So we've replaced Syrah with Pinot, which is a beautiful wine. I think you've shared my favorite part that you've had that. And then we also make a, a Saw Blanc. So that's a long answer to We can talk more about the wines yeah, if we're you going want, to. but yeah. that's a long answer into how we fell into this business. But yeah. uh, here we are. We Our first vintage was 2011, and we're sitting in front of you at uh, talking right. about our 2022, uh, 21, so, uh, 22 wines. Okay. For some reason, I was thinking it was more recent, but this was 11 years ago? Yeah, 12? so it was 11. Yeah, yeah we just kind of, we didn't do anything fancy, but we kind of just yeah. celebrated our 10-year anniversary as a uh-huh. as a small company and a little winery. So. Wow. Okay, Little Winery, what's your production? So we make, uh, call it 800 cases. And uh, about 400 of that is our flagship, which is our Cabernet. Um, That Cabernet is also about 300 of our traditional cab, and we now make 100 cases of a reserve. So 400 total of the cab. Uh, About 150 of the Pinot Noir, and then about 150 to 250 of the Saw Blanc. Okay, a couple of questions. What what constitutes in your your winery a reserve? Uh, That's a great question. I'll try to give you a a shorter answer than I normally give on that because Thomas came to us uh, six years into the project, 2016, and said, I think it's time to make a reserve. At the time, our cab was scoring very nicely. We were getting some 97, 98-point scores. Tench Vineyard was gaining some notoriety. Russell Bevan, who's a famous winemaker, also makes some wine out of Tench Vineyard. So Tench was getting established. And Thomas said, I think it's time to, to have a reserve. And I said, great idea. I love it. Where where are we going to source the fruit for the reserve? Yeah. And Thomas, as he does numerous times, looks at me like I'm a complete idiot. He goes, <laughs> right here. Tench Vineyard, right here. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I'm somewhat new at this still. I'm five or six years in it. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. But how are we going to make a reserve from the same grapes we're making a regular cab? I, I'm not here to screw our consumers and just yeah. slap a reserve label on it and charge more. Yeah. What are we going to do to make it different? Because last I checked, the, the fruit's the same. And <laughs> yeah. and so I got my my brief education, uh, which was basically our three-acre parcel does have elevation change to it. And we do have different soils within the three-acre parcel, which I did not know because I'm not a farmer. Okay. Okay. Um, and we're right off Silverado Trail, so we have yeah. a much rockier soil at the top end of our three-acre parcel than we do down um, towards what I'll call the, the shelf or the valley floor, if you will. And then on top of that, Thomas can harvest differently. So he may pick a little different. He may let the reserve hang a little bit longer. Uh, but I will tell you that the most significant difference between our regular cab and our reserve is going to be barrel selection. So um, all our wines are made in uh, French oak barrels, which are by definition the most expensive. You can use a lot of different oak barrels from around the world to make wine. But if you're making a $150 or $200 Cabernet, you're going to use French oak barrels. And what I learned was within the French oak barrel category, there's a whole nother, there's like three tiers, anywhere right. from a low of about $1,100 a barrel to a high of about $2,800 a barrel. So as Thomas explained to me as he did on his Schrader wine, which had 1,700-point scores yeah. to its name, we're going to start using higher-end French oak barrels on the reserve. So long answer to the question, our reserve comes from the same vineyard, 
but we, we're very specific on the vineyard designate that it comes yep. out of, and then we farm it a little differently. And then in barrel, we're 100% new oak, higher-end oak. In our regular cab, we're about 75% new oak, um, 25% neutral. Yep. So that's the, the main variation. Okay, great. That was a great explanation. So terroir. Yeah, terroir. Is your, there you go. There you go. Um, what you said that Steve could be a um, a master psalm. What is, is he any level of psalm? You know, uh, a formally no. I, I always say well, let's put a let's put a level two or level three test in front of you because I, I really uh, he's humble and he would yeah. say, oh no, I'd have to study. I really don't think he would have to study. Yeah. And so uh, sometimes when we have these type of uh, interviews, podcasts, yeah. whatever. Um, I always get a little nervous because I'm kind of the sales guy and yeah. I love my wine, but I'm Irish and I'm more about consumption than I am about the, the <laughs> details. So when you start talking rootstock and some of the yeah. other things that true Psalms yeah. want to talk about, yeah. it gets a little geeky for me. I've learned yeah. now after 10 years to hold my own and I can answer the, yeah. the basic questions. And I've spent a lot of time in the winery. My son, Scott, uh, graduated from college, uh, I guess six, seven years ago and moved to Napa and worked under Thomas Brown uh, for about five years. Now he's off at another winery, but that helped me get an education because whenever I need somebody to answer a question, I call in my my yeah. 20-year-old son, Scott, because wow. he can run circles around me. What did he, uh, what did he study? Uh, he actually just was a um, uh, public relations major. And, uh, you know, yeah. but w- around the time, and you yeah. can appreciate this, any, any kid that's 18 years old, when uh, Lori and I bought the home in Rutherford. Scott was, I think, a junior in high school or a senior in high school. So you tell some 18-year-old kid, would you like to vacation in Napa <laughs> this weekend? And I'll probably pour you a little wine. The answer is heck yes. Yeah. Or probably hell yes. Yeah. And so Scott uh, grew uh, a, a big fan of wine. He did a summer internships at David Arthur Vineyards. David Long's a dear friend, a cured to shame yeah. supporter as well. Yeah. Um, and then did a summer internship at Mending Wall with Thomas Brown. The rest is history. When he graduated, he went right to Napa, and yeah. now he's in the business. So Jeez, that's great. It's exciting. It must be just so great for you to have a, your son working with it, you. It is, and he's, and he's exactly that. I call him a brand ambassador. He has a full-time job at another winery, Davis yeah. Estates, who's yeah. also that's a great. Curtis Sheen supporter. Yeah. Um, so Scott's in hospitality and does um, production with them as well. He's, yeah. he's unique in the sense that he's got both that hospitality salesman ability, uh, but he's got a complete geek understanding and worked five years in production. So he's got yeah. that unique breed where he can nice. talk wine with anybody. Yeah. So nice. we use them to help do tastings in Napa, some yeah. of the other things to, to fill the gaps when we're not there. Very cool. Um, where are you sourcing your wines for your Pinot? Because you're, you're not growing them in Rutherford, are you? No. So um, I, the answer to your question is we have three different vineyard sources for our three different wines. So we talked about Tench Vineyard on the cab, which is Oakville. Um, the Pinot Noir is Silver Eagle. Uh, vineyard, which is Sonoma Coast, where about yeah. a mile as the crow flies. Um, it's pretty famous because it's farmed or was farmed by Ulysses Valdez, who passed away, a very famous uh, farmer, passed away about two and a half years ago. But his children now uh, uh, farm the vineyard, and there's about four different Pinots coming out of the Silver Eagle vineyard, including our winemaker Thomas Brown has his own Silver Eagle uh, vineyard Pinot under his label of Rivers Marie. As Thomas's personal label, and um, Maxim makes a Pinot out of there. A couple different wineries make their Pinot, so yeah. we get that cold climate coming right off the Pacific yeah. Ocean. It's just it's that. beautiful property, and it, yeah. it makes for a great Pinot Noir. Yeah, your um, so Pinot's my go-to. That's okay. my favorite of all yep. the varietals. But I'm very also picky slash specific. I, um, 
I, I like cab. I'm not over the top for cab. Um, it ha- depends on the meal. I wouldn't normally just drink a cab by itself. It would have to be with the right meal. Okay. But I still like what would be known as a cab lover's pinot because I want a full, big There pinot. you go. There and you go. So, and that's what I think uh, yours is. Yeah, it's funny with, with my partner Steve being a wine geek and then Thomas, uh, obviously extreme knowledge in wine. They really, they set off. I don't, I don't try to tell them what to do. Um, really, Thomas runs it, but he really sent off to make a, a, a Burgonian type a Pinot Noir, you know, truly yeah. reflective of what they're doing in France. We actually have some whole cluster in there, which most people are not doing in their Pinots to give them a little bit more of that earthy, earthy. feel. But yeah. I do get told on a regular basis, Bart, exactly what yeah. you said, which is you're kind of a cab lover's Pinot. And yeah. I take that as a compliment because totally. I think we are as well. Yeah, totally. Okay, the name. I'm hearing rivers kind of throughout this. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Um, a lot of people think River Rain. Uh, came because our winemaker, Thomas Brown's wine is Rivers Marie. Um, absolutely nothing to do with it. <laughs> Although we like the, you know, some people are like, oh, is Thomas an owner in your project? And that you yeah. want to go, oh yeah, he is. Cause that makes people even more excited, but he's not. Um, but the River Rain name actually came from uh, naming parties. When I told you how quickly we got into this business, it was not a strategic plan that we built. It happened at Press Restaurant. And 24 hours later, we <laughs> signed a contract for, and now we're like, oh my God, we need a name. We need a, we need an LLC. We need to, we need to do something here. And so we had good friends come over to our house, big tequila margarita drinkers, and said, hey, I'm going to make batches of margaritas, and we'll open some red wine. Everybody's got to bring an idea for the name of a wine. We're going to start a wine project. So people like yourself, Bart, would come over and say, oh, I think you should call it uh, Hamilton Gregory, which were Steve and my middle name. And yeah. they're like, Steve's like, oh, that's too pretentious. I want something more fun. I'm like, I want shenanigans because I'm a troublemaker. And <laughs> and I'm like, and so long story short, after 30 different names, Steve came up with Riverine at one of the first naming parties. And I'm like, what is Riverine? And he goes, it's actually a French word called the Riveron. And I can't roll my R's. It's, if you speak French, it's beautiful, beautifully does. pronounced. I'll, okay, I'll have her try it. <laughs> Riveron is the correct pronunciation. We call it Riverine, everybody calls it Riverine, but it's Riveron. And it actually, by definition in, in the French language, means local people that live near the river and are kind and give their goods back to the community. And Steve's comment at the time, we had just bought the home in, in Napa, and he said, look, you know, you and Lori are, are very giving people. Your home is right by the Napa River. You're about an eighth of a mile by the crow flies. It's right at the other side of the vineyard of your house. And you just and you open your home up and you give your goods away, and that's reflective of the name. And I said, that's horrible. Um, <laughs> and a year later, when we really had to pick a name, we yeah. finally came back to it and said, okay, almost by default. Yeah. That's the best one we had in a year, so let's just go with yeah. it. And we've everybody really likes it. The labels are extremely unique. I, I don't know who can actually see the labels, but they're primarily black and white photographs that are reflective of um, our home in Napa has black and white photos, et cetera. Um, but it's actually our third business partner, Lori. Um, the photography is from, from her. Oh, and is that she, right? It, okay. it is. And it's funny because she's not a professional photographer. She yeah. just has an iPhone um, and a Canon. Um, the one you're looking at, the Pinot is unique because the Pinot is not um, – a picture she took, and the reason it's not, uh, for those that can't see it, there's two people on horseback on the black and white label. Well, one person is her six-year-old mother, and the other person is her, I think, 52-year-old grandfather at the time. Um, And that's taken in the San Fernando Valley. And what's unique about that, Bart, is we decided to call our Pinot Generations Pinot. 
um, really generations being a tribute back to our families. Steve, Lori, yeah. myself, we all have different heritage, different ways we got the path we were on. But it all reflected on family and how um, important family was to us. So we said, let's call it Generations Pino. And hence the photo that came out on the front, which was basically her mother and her grandfather and said, hey, this is reflective of generations, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's how that that's, so that's how that goes. Hey, who, whose idea was the waxed top? Um, the wax top is something we fell into when we made the reserve. We said we really need to make a wax top for a reserve. We just think it's a higher end, a little more yeah. reflective of what we're trying to do. And the Pinot Noir, I, I, I'd love to lie to you and tell you it was a great strategic decision to put wax on. But one of the things you'll learn or your, your listeners may know, capsules, which is what's traditional on a wine bottle, are becoming extremely difficult to source and that most of them come from, from Europe. And the quantities that re they're requiring for you to have a custom capsule, you can buy capsules here in the United States, but they don't have some of the authentic colors you might want to match your label. You just have to kind of go with a standard red cap or a brown right. cap or a green cap. Well, we wanted caps capsules that were reflective of the label. And long story short, uh, the capsules are usually about a 15,000 to 20,000 capsule minimum order. And we're only making about 1,000 cases or 1,000 bottles yeah. of wine a year. Um, and so you're talking about a 10-year supply. And God forbid your bottle source changes during those 10 years, yeah. the capsule no longer fits. Right. So we just decided to go to wax on our Pinot Noir and our reserve. We're considering going to a wax just because we like the look of it. Yeah. Um, a little bit more labor intensive. You have to send it out to a third party to yeah. wax them, et cetera. But they, they really are cool. And within wax, a lot of people are probably cringing that have wax bottles in their wine cellar because you can end up in the emergency room cutting off your <laughs> finger trying to open wax bottles. We used a super soft wax that literally you can just pull the cork right through the wax. You don't yeah. have to cut the wax. We we recommend you cut the wax, but you don't need to. The cork will pull uh, right through it. Okay, so. okay, okay. I was going to make a joke. You said about labor intensive. I said, well, you made it labor intensive to get it yeah, off. No, it's true. But I didn't know you could pull. Yeah, uh, you give I it a try. try that. You know, I'll leave you the sample and you give that a try. <laughs> Let me know if it worked. All right. It's a great look. It's classy. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Um, your connection, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, connection with uh, Cure de Shane. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Again, without the business plan, we really didn't know what we were going to do if this project took off. And um, I won't say it took off, but it's doing well. It's supporting itself. We're no longer writing checks 10 years in, which is a nice place to be. And so <laughs> the charitable contribution side uh, came along. And I will tell you from the day people find out you're in the wine business, they wonder if you can donate a case or five cases or 10 cases to whatever the event is. It could be NASCAR, it could be a, a great charity. Just anybody that finds out you're in the wine business wants yeah. samples. And we really didn't have the luxury of doing that. But we said, you know, we should be a little strategic about what partners maybe we do support and what philanthropic organizations we get involved in. And Cure de Shane was like one other uh, Emerald Lagasse Foundation, really we're an honor to be a part of because number one, Cure de Shane more than any other event that we participate in is kind of the who's who of Napa Valley wines. For sure. And it's not, you don't contact them and say, I, want, I would like to do this. They contact you. It's kind of invitation yeah. only. Um, and I don't think I'm making uh, that bigger than it really is. It's really an honor. And so we got contacted, I believe, 
three years ago was our first year, if I'm not mistaken. They said, hey, we'd be honored to have you. And I said, are you kidding? We'd be honored mm-hmm. to be there. And yeah. so it, it's a great cause. We can talk more about Cure Duchesne. Um, I think you mentioned you had a uh, maybe a podcast with uh, the director. Just, just recorded yesterday. Yeah, so and she was um, great. But we're we're honored to be a part of that. And uh, again, it's hard for a seven hundred, eight hundred case winery to really, you know, we don't donate millions of dollars. Yeah. We try to donate some experiences to these events. So we'll yeah. donate some VIP tastings uh, in Napa, or possibly a stay at my home up there, and mm-hmm. some things like that, or a, a catered dinner down here. Since all three proprietors of Riverine actually uh, are really Orange County based um, from Newport Beach to Laguna Beach. We do a lot of, we have a lot of nice restaurant support here on the, on the California coast. And so we'll do dinners here locally as well as in Napa. Oh, great. Are you allowed to say which local restaurants? Oh, sure. Own? Yeah. I, I don't want to leave anybody out, yeah. but um, our biggest supporters, primarily because I'm in Newport Beach, yeah. are probably um, ARC, uh, okay. Restaurant A, A has become a great supporter. Yeah. Olea and the Vine out of San Clemente. They also yeah. own Sapphire and Laguna Beach. Yeah. They pour our Sa Blanc by the glass. Okay. Uh, Mastro's has come on big and strong in, in Crystal Cove in the yeah. last two years. They love our Cabernet and they kind of, yeah. they call it their hidden gem because, uh, you know, they're, they're not a, a low priced wine list, but uh, yeah. we sneak in there just under probably the $400 price point on their wine list. But yet yeah. we drink comparable to other. Eight hundred to twelve hundred dollar yeah. wines on their wine list, so they like to serve our wine kind of as a hidden gem, which yeah. is nice. But uh, and then uh, right where Cure Duchesne at um, the Waldorf Astoria is a big supporter. Montage yeah. was our first customer ever. Mm-hmm. Montage in Laguna Beach. So all these in and oh, it's nice. yeah. So that's kind of I'm, I'm missing one or two. I I, I, I apologize, <laughs> but that's really the the core group, if you will, that kind of supports us day in and day out. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um. Yeah, thank you for what you do there. I think that that's amazing. And um, the event is you have to the 29th, I think, right? October. Saturday night, October yeah, 29th. A couple of weeks. So. Yeah. yeah, got a couple, but, yeah, a couple buddies that have Halloween parties that uh, have to take their kids out to a Halloween party instead of going to Cure Duchesne. Oh, shame boy. on them. But, yeah, shame uh, on them for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a pretty special event. Yeah. So we'll be there in, in full force. Yeah. So, um, Anything else about the wine or anything you want to make sure we cover? You know, um, no, I, I I I would encourage people if you've never tried River Rain or Riveron, mm-hmm. um, give it a shot at the local restaurant. So the the way our wines, um, I should also throw in that um, we're we really only have one retail placement in all of Orange County. If you said I just want to go buy your wine tomorrow, where do I find yeah. it? It's High Times, which is you know yeah. probably the largest uh, wine retailer in Orange County. So High Times is a really nice supporter. But our, your listeners can also just go to our website, which is riverainvineyards.com. Um, there's only one R in Riverain because it's <laughs> yeah, Riveron. I made that mistake uh, myself. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people look us up and they go, well, I spelled river and rain. I'm like, yeah, that's why you didn't find it. But um, we keep a small allocation. Our wine, we don't have a, we don't have a wine club. Um, you know, we don't send out wine twice a year, whether you want yeah. it or not. That's a great business model. Yeah. Um, you know, the gift that keeps on giving, let me get your credit card and <laughs> ship you wine you don't want. But our wines, basically, we release all our wines once a year, each wine. And you have an opportunity for a three to four day period to buy your allocation. If you don't want to buy it, we think somebody else might want to. Yeah. And so there's no forced agenda. We don't kick you off our our mailing list if you don't yeah. buy, but we have enough interest. Um, and we do have a little bit of support from outside side California as well. When you only make 800 cases, you don't have enough to be in national distribution, but we're strong uh, in Florida um, and a couple other markets that uh, are just nice supporters. Yeah. So. I love the allocation model. I'm on a, on a number and 
I'll be on yours in the next yeah. hour. You know, there's some there's <laughs> something about uh, I don't care if it's the wine business, clothing, cars. You know, when you tell somebody they can't get it, all of a sudden their desire is becomes <laughs> yeah. much stronger, right? Yeah. Um, you know, going back to your your dating days when somebody told you that really pretty girl in the bar is not available, she just became even more attractive. <laughs> yeah. um, and and yeah. wine wine is kind of that way when you're on an exclusive mailing list and your buddies can't get it, but you can. They're like, I yeah. want to get that. How do you get that? So we're not quite there. I don't want to put us in that camp, but we're getting we're getting close. Our reserve, um, where we only make a hundred cases, we sold out. Um, we released it. Uh, two months ago, and we sold out in three and a half hours, um, which is pretty exciting. We, we, we dreamed of that. You know, yeah. you hear about that from the Harlands and, and yeah. the Bonds and the high ends of the world, yeah. the, the Schraders, et cetera, but we never thought we'd be there. Now, yeah. now if we make a thousand cases and sell out in three hours, that'll yeah. really be a story. But yeah. it's just nice to be able to be in a sold out position. Yeah. Well, Dean, looks like you're going to make your retirement after all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to get there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We've come pretty close to the end of time, and I always have the honor of asking my guests the final thought question, which is, what is your ultimate lesson learned? And I'm going to say, in your case, just in life. Uh, you've had a quite an evolution in what you've done and experiences. I, I have. I, I, I've, I'm reinventing myself again, as you and I talked um, uh, off microphone. Uh, I'm uh, now single, went through a, a divorce, and so I would just say my, my key word in life that I try to instill in my kids, et cetera, is, is passion. You know, I, I, I kid with my, my youngest son, Scott, who I mentioned earlier, um, you know, he always thought I, that in my mind he had to be a CEO or a president of a company to be successful. And I said, no, you, you've, you've got me read all wrong. And we still have this debate. I said, I don't care if you want to be a barista at Starbucks. I don't care if you want to pump gas at Chevron. I don't care if you want to sweep the parking lot. Just be the best there is at it. Yeah. I mean, just apply yourself and do it with passion. So whether it's a relationship, whether it's a business, go all in and show people excitement, care about people, and 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 give back. So yeah. that's it for me. That's great. That's a good one. So. Um, and I just actually had an idea, Danielle. So in about a month, we do our kind of our holiday wine tasting show, and uh -huh. we talk about hey, wines for you know, getting ready for the holidays. I'm going to save. Um, minimum this one for that show because I actually love Pinot Noir with my turkey. There you go. So Well, I would. Uh, I thought this was going to be your, like, can I get two or five cases for free, just like everybody else? <laughs> no, I'm teasing you. Um, I would like you to, to drink that one I left with you before that, and I'll get you another one for your holiday show. Ah, so, you're very nice. Because um, I did mention to you we're coming out with the 21 vintage, yeah. uh, and I'll get you a bottle of that as well. You can try All them right. side by side. You so, twisted my arm. Yeah. Th <laughs> thank you for the time. I really yeah, of appreciate course. it. Thank you for the time. Uh, thanks, everyone, who had tuned in. We look forward to being in studio next week. Cheers. Awesome. Tune in next week for the latest edition of the Zanbergen Report, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Catch up on our recent shows by visiting podcast.bartzanbergen.com. The Zanbergen Report is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer? Email podcast at bartsandbergen.com. The contents of this podcast episode do not constitute an offer of securities or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities and may not be relied upon in making an investment decision related to any investment offering Access Wealth Management LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Access does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. Opinions are our current opinions and are subject to change without notice. 
prices, quotes, rates are subject to change without notice. Generally, investments are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed and may lose value.